Broadcasting from the commodity capital of the world, Zurich, Switzerland, this is Insider's Guide to Energy. This edition to Insider's Guide to Energy is brought to you by Fidectus. Go to www.fidectus.com for more information. And welcome to another edition of Insider's Guide to Energy. My name is Chris Sass. I am your host, our producer, Declan Short. And today we are fortunate to have Gavin Ada, CEO of Total Solar DG. Gavin, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. We're really excited to have you uh, because what I've seen in your bio and articles I've read about you is that you're a serial and entrepreneur. You've figured out how to make renewable, sexy, and profitable and so maybe it makes sense to start a little bit about your background, maybe starting from Samsung on a little bit and giving us a little history of what you've done. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so I, I did a, an MBA, went to Korea. I decided, you know what, I want to go to Asia. I want to see what's happening. It seems to be this really exciting kind of region. Uh, and I was picked up by Samsung uh, to go and live in Korea uh, and, and I thought, you know what, they've got to be doing lots of interesting things there. So I spent seven years in, in Korea doing a whole load of different things from kind of hotels to insurance to technology, printing, so, uh, solar, et cetera. One of, the, one of the kind of breakthrough moments was uh, realizing that green technology is going to be taking off. And, and Samsung was really pivoting to do that. And I, I launched that business in the U.S. and we did about a billion dollars of uh, utility scale, so big solar farms across the U.S. We looked at buying uh, Tesla uh, and, and SunPower and a few other companies uh, in the U.S. And I kind of got the bug. Um, uh, we, we ended up buying a company there and, and I became the sort of managing director of that company. And it, that was all very exciting. But it was Southeast Asia that you could see was going to be the next place that took off. And so I, I said to myself, I'll come to Singapore. Uh, I'll join a company. It will be really exciting and, and I'll see what's going on. Uh, when I got here, there was really nobody doing that kind of business. So something that was really big in the U.S. Um, was not happening here. So I joined a company called REC Solar. Uh, which is a Norwegian solar panel manufacturer. Uh, I ended up selling that company to a state-owned enterprise called ChemChina, which is one of the biggest companies in China. Um, and, and really over, over beers with uh, uh, various different investors, I put together uh, a group of investors that were willing to start me off. I started a company um, that became the biggest uh, rooftop developer in India uh, and was sold to Shell. Uh, I then started another company uh, at which I sold to Total end of 2017, and I'm now running that business. And we basically we put solar on the roof of uh, different types of companies and different facilities, and we sell electricity to that company over sort of 20, 25 years. That, that's pretty amazing story. So, so you're working with large industrial customers, changing and distributing energy out. 
How has that changed their business models? How does that change their interaction with someone like Total? So, so when I first came here sort of eight years ago, I would get kicked out of the lobby or, or my team would get kicked out of the, the reception. They'd say, look, we're not interested in solar. We're not interested in sustainability. We want cost reduction. And if it's not cheaper, we're not interested. And it took a long time to get them to realize uh, that, that actually solar is cheaper. Uh, so, so the first thing has been the 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 industry the the customers realizing wow this I could put solar on my roof and, and save money the second thing was realizing that you I don't have to pay and buy that system Total will come in they will do the funding they will do all the upfront investment and I just buy the electricity afterwards so that's even even easier and then the third thing that's been quite surprising is the the reactions from community reactions from consumers to them doing that. So uh, I'll give you an example. We did uh, Heineken, uh, the um, beer company in Singapore, uh, and they initially wanted to cut costs. They decided to invest. They did the project. Uh, and one of, their, one of their employees did a video, uh, and it went, it went viral. And in, in they were, the marketing team was able to show that that video tripled their sales of beer uh, over a six-month period. Uh, and and the the extra profits that they got from that extra beer sales was was enough to have bought the system three four times over in just six months. And so what happened was Heineken said, "Well, hold on a second, uh, we're missing something here. We can cut costs. We can do this. It, we can do this kind of solution. We don't have to pay anything. And 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 on top of that, consumers are going to love it." So uh, since then, they've been implementing solar projects around Asia specifically to address that space. So it's goodwill and good economics, it sounds like. Exactly. Um, so has the technology improved? I mean, you've been doing it for some period of time. Um, when did it become less of a science experiment and more of a business decision? Yeah, so that's so that's the crazy thing. So, um, I mean, I would say that 10 years ago uh, – it was not a science experiment anymore. And you could see in the US that actually, wait, hold on a second, this might make sense even without any subsidies and without any support. So when I'm doing solar in Indonesia or Vietnam or Malaysia or you know, any of these markets on here, the truth is that the grid price, the coal, is uh, subsidized. Taxpayers' money is going in to force those, those electricity prices down. So solar is coming in and, and, and still 50% cheaper than the subsidized uh, extra cheap grid price. So I mean, for me, it's been a question of being a little bit like the canary in the mine, the, the, the guy who said, well, hold on a second, this, this really works. Uh, and I suppose I would say the, me and a, a maybe two or three other people in the, in the industry have had, I'd say, three, four, maybe five years of knowing that this market is going to take off. Uh, but just not really getting the reactions from the from the um, from the market. So the market hasn't seen the savings yet, or is still yeah. slow oh, to pick it up. Awareness is just really low, right? You know, people think that renewables is expensive. Still, I, I do. I go on these kind of you know conversations. You, still, people nobody believes it. Nobody believes that which that the cheapest power in the world, coal, is actually more expensive than solar. So. Uh, so what about storage, right? When you talk about renewables, you, you, you think of a storage problem or technology advances in storage. How does that play into what you're doing? 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. So, so what you find a lot of people saying is, well, you know, uh, the, the solar is only there. What happens when there's a cloud? What happens at night? Uh, and so the truth is, at the moment, most of our projects, we put the solar in, it produces maybe 10 or 20% of that company's power. We don't do the whole thing. And on that 10 or 20%, we're 50% cheaper. So they're getting you know, a 5% reduction or something like that. So it's not, it's not on, we don't remove them from the grid. That being said, we have some systems uh, in, for example, we've done a system in Cambodia. So we've taken an island, they have 70 different bars and restaurants and hotels that are all running on diesel. And we're putting solar plus battery in. And that is about 50% cheaper than diesel. So for me, what's really exciting is you can do solar plus battery. We've still got the diesel generator. We're, we're 50% cheaper. This is for the hotels and the kind of off-grid uh, islands around the world. We've got 10,000 islands in, in Indonesia. We've got 4,000 islands in Philippines, more or less. So um, it's coming. And then batteries are reducing at something between 20 and 30% per year. So the time will come, maybe it's three, four, five years, where uh, every building will have a battery in the basement. You'll have the solar on the top. When the solar is not being used by the building, it's going into the battery. That makes sense. Has that changed since it's the grid, the spot market, or how you're trading your power because it takes time to ramp up these generators and, and other power? How, how is that dynamic? So, so most of the markets here are regulated markets with no, with no spot market. Um, so one of the key enablers for us to be more creative about, about energy, whether that's batteries, whether that's solar, uh, whether that's trading, is, is creating that market. And, and you'll see, you've seen Singapore move into that. You've seen um, Philippines see significant reductions in the cost of power by making it possible to buy power uh, deregulated. So as a, as a, co a company, uh, you can choose who you're going to buy your power from. And that, that is having a massive impact. But the truth is there's a lot of, uh, let's say, entrenched interest, right? There's a lot of companies and governments who are making, who are making money by having a locked customer. You can't go anywhere else. And, and in that kind of situation, uh, nothing moves really. So what about the technology exporting to somewhere like Europe where we live? Or you, it's, you said you saw it a lot being successful in the United States. It, do you need the government kind of support you have in that kind of a market or does it work in Europe as well? Yeah, so 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 I think Europe and, and the US are, are, are ahead. Like I, I would say if I look at Asia, um, US is probably 20 years ahead. Uh, US is maybe 10 years ahead, carving out China because China, China's, China has t taken off so quickly. So um, I think that the the Technology is still there. It's very market by market, right? So I think I think you're seeing the U.S. and and, and Europe using the same technology that's coming from Asia, um, and and you're seeing these kind of solutions. But generally, what has happened is the the build business model in a lot of Europe uh, is is about putting the solar system on the roof and selling that power to the grid, not selling that power directly to the to the company, uh, and 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 that that kind of perpetuates the um, the, mon the monopoly of the of the grid 
uh, we don't, we, what I do a lot is a bit, a bit gorilla. So, uh, that's the gorilla with a U, not the, not the O. <laughs> um, so we, we try to get into markets, um, early, uh, and, and a little bit under the radar. So we, I did the first project, first rooftop solar project in Cambodia, in Indonesia, one of the first in Philippines. And, and we do that by finding kind of clever legal structures that enable us to do, say, an equipment lease rather than selling electricity so that we can get past the government regulations. So what is the ROI and life expectancy? So if you're a large industrial customer, you say this is great. You put this on the roof of my facilities or have a solar farm of some sort. What kind of return and life expectancy do I see from this? Yeah, good question. So so if let me give you an example. If, if you're Coca-Cola uh, and you're a Coca-Cola bottling facility in, say, Cambodia, um, your if you install that system uh, on your on your on your facility, it's going to cost you, let's say, two million dollars. Um, you're going to get that $2 million back in savings in maybe eight or nine years, and you're gonna get a reasonable ROI in maybe 15 to 20 years. And when we pitched that to the uh, uh, Coca-Cola CEO in Cambodia, he said, well, look, you know, I can go and buy more bottles or, or more uh, ingredients to make Coca-Cola and get an ROI of six months. Uh, Pay back in you know in, in three months, um, and so it, it doesn't add up, right? Um, Total and other companies like that are, are infrastructure investors. So you know we'll build an oil rig that's designed to last fifty years, and 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 you know that's that's a that's the core business that we do. So so for solar, really, it's fifteen to twenty five years is the length of the contract that you need to make a reasonable return. Um, uh, so it, it isn't it isn't uh, it isn't quite as as sexy as I think a lot of people think. So it, it's it's a it's a long term investment, but the risk it sounds like from what you just described, Total is taking by investing in the infrastructure. Is that what I just heard? That's spot on, right? So 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 we we we're, we're doing the investment. So so in the model in the business model that we we use, um, Coca Cola doesn't invest anything. We invest everything. We build a, the solar system for whatever two million dollars from day one of that that project operating. Coca Cola is getting a a saving, getting ROI immediately. Uh, it's Total that's then looking at that twenty or twenty five year relationship to get the the return that we need. So then, from Coca Cola's point of view, or vendor X, right, your your customer. They're looking at it as a true dollar savings. I'm assuming they also use it for their their carbon footprint or to, to show that they're they're green as a company. How much value are they attributing to that? Yeah, that's that's a good point. So so um, you know what we've said to people up until now has been, look, you know, if we give you a five percent discount against the grid, that should be good enough. And a lot of people have been saying, well, actually, I want ten percent, or it's not really worth my time. Um, and the renewable green credits sort of CSR aspect has been non-existent. Um, that's now starting to become more important. And big brands like Nike, uh, Apple, Danone, these guys are saying, Google, etc. These guys are saying, I won't buy from you. If you want to be a supplier to me, 
you need to have at least 20% of your power coming from renewable energy. And I won't buy from you otherwise. That has been a climactic shift. So what I see is consumers putting pressure on, say, Nike, and then Nike putting pressure on their manufacturing hubs. So Nike has about 2 million people, 2 million working in Indonesia and Vietnam alone. Um, and actually, it's not Nike itself. It's Nike uh, manufacturers, so suppliers. They're 100% Nike, right? They only sell to Nike. They've got, as I say, 2 million people. So these massive rooftops. Think about huge sort of um, flat areas uh, with 80,000 people per building. Um, and those those facilities, we've been talking to them for seven, eight years. It's only in the last 12 months that Nike has been like, look, you've got to do it or we're not going to buy T-shirts, shoes, whatever it is from you, that those companies have suddenly uh, panicked. And so we were doing a lot of work to help them get up to speed. So is your demand kind of the hockey stick growth stage of the company? So is it something you'll be able to keep up with or is it just kind of working out okay? Uh, it's, it's definitely hockey stick. Uh, we're, we're doubling our investments year on year. Um, you know, we've seen this sort of eightfold increase in revenues. Um, we're doubling people more or less year on year. It, it's, it's definitely taking off. Uh, and there's more, there's more demand that we can handle. So we're, we're, we're able to cherry pick the best projects, but I, I think, I think we'll see even faster growth and more aggregation of opportunities going forwards. So does this mean that you developed new software to manage and handle this kind of uh, performance? Because the distribution seems to be a very different way than the old models, right? So how, how yeah. are your customers accessing this or what are you doing differently for them? system for the second biggest food company in the country so it's 24 sites um, we put a, let's call it one and a half to two million dollars on each rooftop um, and the question is you've got all of these different facilities spread around Thailand so how do you know which ones are working which ones are overheating uh, which ones need some help and we have a software system uh, which we've developed uh, with a partner from China to uh, to basically monitor every different module and string and inverter, so all the different components of the system in real time uh, across uh, those 24 sites. Now, the, the truth is we've, we've got almost 100 sites now, um, so, so we've just got that. That is a key element, is how do you know that the project is actually operating well and how do you make sure that you're fixing it? So we need a very broad team that are in each, each country to get close to the projects. And so that was all done with a contractor building specific software for Total, then is what it sounded like. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a JV partner uh, where they basically had some software. It was one of the best in the market. And we said, um, we, it's missing stuff. We want, we want more. Uh, so they designed something specifically for our portfolio um, that gives us a little bit more granularity on what's happening with each each of the projects and a better way of seeing across large portfolios. Now, do you see in the future a company like Total only focusing on larger or medium-sized industrial customers and then smaller new entrants to the market taking care of small mom-and-pop type businesses, or does this eventually trickle down to everybody? 
So, so, so I should I should mention that Total is the uh, only global player doing this, right? So we are the biggest in the U.S. Uh, with the one of the biggest in the Middle East. We're one of the biggest in China, Asia, and then there's also Europe going. So we have five different hubs doing this, and and the reason that we've set up like that is that we can pull all of the different projects together and then go to a supplier and buy for all of those projects. And I'm just talking about you know rooftop, but also for solar farms. And when we pull all of that together, we get better financing. So we get cheaper cost of capital. We get cheaper costs of modules and cabling, et cetera. Um, so I think this is kind of a winner takes all uh, uh, type market where the bigger you are, the better you do. The challenge that we've got is the credit so how can we trust so if we go and put a system on a coca-cola rooftop we're pretty sure that coca-cola is going to be here in 20 years or 30 years but for the smaller companies the mom and pop shops that might not be there for a long time the question is what do you do for them and and that's where i think um regulation and and, and access to an open market are really important because if you have the rooftop, but you have nobody in that facility, you can still sell the power to the grid and get something for it. In theory, in practice, most of the markets don't allow you to sell power into the grid. So we're kind of stuck. Yeah, that seems to be something that will need to change or is changing over time, though, the ability to sell power back. Absolutely. I think there's no question that in call it five to 10 years, every market will allow you to sell power into the grid because as much as certain coal lobbies and, and local companies are, are trying to stop this happening, in the end, if I've got a solar system on a roof, I'd rather sell that, I'd rather sell the excess power for one cent for the smallest possible amount than have to send it into the ground. So it, I, I'll I mean, I will take almost anything for that extra excess power. And then when you look at Cambodia and you look at, um, you know, Thailand and, and Philippines, everybody is looking for cheaper power. So it's inevitable that once people realize, well, hold on a second, all these solar companies, they have this extra power that they could be selling to us for almost nothing. Uh, and instead they're being told, no, you know, pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, that's not going to last very long. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess we're kind of getting up towards the end of our time. I could talk about this all day. It's pretty exciting stuff. I, I have one question that's kind of lingering. So we talk about regulation, subsidies, and things like that. You, you mentioned all the regions. So this is a global place. So if you go to a Fortune 100 or somewhere that's got a footprint around the globe, how much does regional regulation play into the profitability as well as you, know, you mentioned like a Nike or a Coca-Cola or some multinational corporation to their strategy. Yeah, so that that's a that's an interesting point. So so we are structured so that we can take uh, demand at a local level. So I've got a team in in you know Cambodia or Thailand or wherever, and they can deal with local local requirements. And then we talk about somebody like you know Nike that might have multiple countries. Or, or, or Apple or whoever. Uh, and so you've then got a, a regional headquarters often in sort of Hong Kong or Singapore, and then you've got the global headquarters back in the US or in Europe. And what we're trying to do is to set up a, a structure where we can uh, engage as high as possible in a customer's organization uh, so that we can then wrap up as many different sites as possible to give them the best possible price. So if you come to me with one site, 
I can give you 10% discount. But if you come to me with 50 sites, you know, maybe I can give you 30% discount across multiple countries. And so we have a standardized contract so that the, the, the contract that you sign in Vietnam is more or less the same as Cambodia, Thailand, um, Malaysia, etc. So we're, we're trying to standardize on the, on the, on the demand side. And then if you look across on the supply side, right, currently, um, each of the grids is essentially independent. So you've got all, all the different countries producing, trying to produce enough power for themselves, most of the time unable to. And I think what you'll see in the next 10 years is a regional uh, inter-country grid um, that will connect Singapore and Malaysia and Indonesia and all these different markets. And at that point, you'll, you'll have a, a, a cheaper cost of grid um, and uh, grid power which will also drive uh, open access and, and will drive a whole load of sort of innovations in batteries and things like that. So I, I think that's coming uh, and that could be very powerful for helping to kind of mobilize this, this sector. Well, I, I think it's been fascinating getting a small glimpse into what you do. I, I want to thank you so much for giving us the time today. It's been a pleasure to have you as a guest um, I look forward to seeing the continued rapid growth and seeing a year or two from now to see where that hockey stick growth takes us. Gavin, thank you. Thank you. Very interesting. Appreciate the time.